Welcome to the Financial MD Show. This is the only podcast designed specifically for residents and young physicians to help you become educated on financial planning for physicians and avoid many of the common financial mistakes doctors make. Your hosts, John and Trevor, explore a different topic with each episode. John Salitro is a financial planner and certified financial education instructor. He's been working with young physicians for the better part of a decade and lectures to graduate medical programs around the country. Dr. Trevor Smith is a board-certified ophthalmologist with a full-time practice, and he has learned the ins and outs firsthand, what it takes to make smart financial decisions as a young physician. And now, here's your hosts, John and Trevor. Welcome to the very first episode of the Financial MD Show, the only show specifically designed for financial tips for residents. Today, you're going to hear about Financial MD itself, what it is, why we created the Financial MD Show, and who is Financial MD. You're going to talk to myself, of course. You're going to hear a little bit about my story, where I came from, what inspired me to even work with this crazy population called physicians. And you're going to hear from our regular co-host, Dr. Trevor Smith. This guy's going to tell you where he came from, how we got together, and what also got him passionate about helping physicians with finances and what he's interested in. Some of the topics we will touch on things like cryptocurrency and getting through residency and some of the mistakes that we've seen. Ultimately, at the end, we're going to share some of the great things that are going to be rolling out from Financial MD resources and all sorts of information and education that's going to make you a financially smarter resident. So without any further ado, here's the show. Welcome to the very first episode of the Financial MD podcast. As a physician, everything you ever wanted to know about finances and a few things that you didn't. Today, uh, I am... One of your hosts, John Salitro, and our co-host, Dr. Trevor Smith, is on as well. Say hello, Trevor. Hey, hey. How's everybody doing? Oh, yeah. Big round of applause. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> all right. So we thought we'd start out just for most of you that are listening, unless this is my mom. Hi, mom. Uh, most of you are probably not completely aware of what Financial MD is. I assume you have a little bit of an idea, but we thought it might help to give some introduction on what it is and who we are and why the heck we're doing this podcast and how a advisor and a physician ever became friends and friends enough mm-hmm. to do a podcast together. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's right. <clears throat> yeah, so uh, I'm going to jump in. I'm John Salitro. Where am I now? Um, I live in Lansing, Michigan area, and I am the financial planner of the duo and uh, married. I've got four kids, um, a girl that's 14, boys that are eight, seven, and five. So life is crazy. It's like both genders are at their craziest ages. I got a teenage daughter and then I got young boys that are just insane. Um, But life is good. This is, we're recording this in September, so we're still in pseudo-pandemic. Who knows, depending on what numbers you look at. Either way, I'm still working a lot from home. Uh, Trevor's Mm -hmm. not. He has to go into the office, but that's 
the nature of that, unless you're a radiologist, you're probably going back into the office. That's right. Uh, <laughs> radiologists always had that gig. We've had a few clients over the years and they get paid buku bucks to sit in their basement and look at pictures. That's some serious business though. I'm not jealous of the dark rooms personally. I mean, I do some dark yeah. rooms for, for ophthalmology. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's a lot of dark rooms. Those guys are uh, yeah. like the hibernate. I know. I had one that um, moved to Hawaii and then spent most of his days in a basement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. That's where they put those guys. He had nice weekends. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I remember when I was an undergrad at MSU, one of my good friends was, was pre-med and she wanted to be a radiologist. And I said, why? And she's like, well, I'm not that much a people person. I was like, okay, I guess that's the, that's fine. That's the specialty you choose when you have no bedside manner. Um, it's a, it is, a, it's a good one, but you don't have to deal with all the, you know, the, the interpersonal complexities of a patient care are certainly reduced in that specialty, which can be an advantage Oh, we need those. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you guys are scientists and researchers and that's. I think a scientist would be like a gen, a very generous description of me at this point. (laughs) (laughs) I follow. I can certainly understand that. Oh, in my background here, I'm Trevor Smith. Uh, I'm an ophthalmologist in the, in the Flint area in Michigan, a comprehensive ophthalmology. Um, But uh, I follow this guy, Glockholm Flecken. He's like a famous uh, Twitter ophthalmology personality, mm-hmm. really funny guy. Um, he's got a site and stuff too. Uh, but he has, he, he had this joke the other day that was like, my patients always ask me if I would go back to medical school again, but if I'd go back and do it again. And he says, um, yeah, of course I, I know half the material. <laughs> it's very true for, for ophthalmology. We, and I think probably a lot of people, you end up forgetting, you know, just a ton of what, of what you used to know in medical school. So it would be, you'd have to learn a lot again. Mm-hmm. But, um, anyways. Yeah. So, uh, and I'm, uh, my other intro would be that I have under a hundred followers on Twitter. Mm. Um, so I'm not, not a famous ophthalmologist like Lachlan Flecken, but you can uh, follow me at Trevor Smith MD. Um, so that's my, my one plug. And I tweet uh, 50% about, interesting libertarian things including bitcoin nice. and then 50% about just random either ophthalmology stuff or or hot takes on pandemic uh issues and pretty apolitical and i just like to think about the ideas more than um the opinions and that the political aspect definitely does get interesting though, just because it yeah. mixes and mashes and twists and turns all the, all the actual, what you want to call facts. And so that's, that's one of my side hobbies and is just being on Twitter a little bit too much, mostly reading other people's um, and just learning about uh, finance stuff, which is how I ended up meeting John here. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we met what, four years ago, five years ago. I bet it was that, yeah. Uh, twenty, no more than four. It might be seventeen, actually. It might have been yeah. between three and four, sixteen or seventeen. Yeah. Yep. And um, I, well, yeah, basically, like I was like trying to figure out whether I could have a nice little side gig <laughs> mm-hmm. of disability insurance during residency because every dollar counts, and I was wanting to fill out my my Roth IRA. 
and I was not going to be able to do it as a resident. Um, Mm -hmm. Initially, I was paying on my loans before I refinanced. And then I refinanced and I was just doing like 100 bucks a month or something. And then I was able to get, you know, more into a Roth, but I was just looking for different options. And I like side gig stuff. That's why one of the reasons Mm -hmm. we're sitting here. Um, Yeah. So anyways, uh, I was looking into that and my cousin works for an insurance company and then he had some sort of connection, I think, with your dad, right? And my dad was his business partner, yep. That's what it was? Okay, yeah. And he was like, oh, you should talk to this guy, John. He works with doctors specifically. He's a young guy. You know, maybe he'll help you kind of like Good looking, get some yeah. information. I don't even know, like, you know, what does an agent do? Do they take tests? Whatever. So you walk me through that. And then I ended up getting uh, certified in um, yep. health, life, and disability. It's like there's just different combos of that. Two of those overlap with one of the other ones. I don't remember which ones which you can take separate or you can take them all in one. It's, it's not too bad. Um, I learned a lot about whole life and uh, term life and uh, sort of the agent slash now they, they actually call it a producer, but what we think of as an agent, um, I learned that perspective on the industry, which is kind of cool. Like the official, yeah. like this is what you have to know to be an agent, um, the curriculum, and uh, that was after having read a lot of like white coat investor stuff. So it was cool to see it from kind of both angles. Yeah. You know, like these are the products. These are the laws. These are why the laws exist and stuff. Um, <clears throat> and my personal interest started with disability because I had a sore neck one time in medical school, you know, studying long hours. And then I went to the doctor because I'm, you know, like – not technically a hypochondriac, but I was the medical student version, like everybody. I think it's called medical student syndrome. Anyways, okay. I went in, I saw somebody, and uh, because I was on my medical record, it was really tough to get um, uh, like a non-exclusive policy that would cover everything, yep. including like my neck and my spine. Um, right. Fortunately, you know, I went a long time without actually having issues. My initial application had a spine exclusion. I got that taken off later. Um, cause you can actually reapply after a couple of years if you're not having any issues. So it's kind of nice. Oh, thank the Anyways, Lord. Anyways, yeah, yeah. Thank the Lord. Cause you know, ophthalmologists can really have some problems with their, with their necks and backs and stuff. So, um, yeah, I think that's I, the biggest claim for surgeons is probably, I'm sure it is. And, and I'm thankful that like, you know, most days I'm almost have like, you know, no, so- even soreness a lot mm-hmm. of times, or if I do, it's, it's not like a chronic or constant thing. So, um, it's just the regular kind of like make sure you position yourself well kind of thing. But uh, yeah, so anyways, that was where my interest came from because I was like, wow, this is complicated. And I learned after I had, an, you know, that initial issue, you know, years later, I'm in residency. I was like, oh, I got to get this disability. And I realized it's not just, you know, easy to do. And then especially if you have any sort of medical thing, that was like a nothing thing that caused me problems. Yeah. So I wanted to help other doctors understand how important and valuable it is. And also um, earn a little uh, side gig income. So we've had you and I have done like just a handful of policies. Um, really, I, I talk with docs about the value, and mm-hmm. we've we've talked some strategy. I have like kind of my own approach where I like doing a couple policies and splitting yep. them so you can. And that was your. I mean, you taught me that. I really like that idea. Case one goes under, or they're you know they go from AAA or you know, whatever, not as reliable. Oh yeah. 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 Kevin, I like that idea too. I remember talking to him about that. Yeah. 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 It's a cool thing. So, um, anyways, and yeah, 
uh, and then you kind of honestly do the heavy lifting and the paperwork and, um, you know, they don't make it easy for you. There's no click solution. And so, uh, until, you know, now, now that you're working on financial ND, that's kind of the idea. It's like, right. Be a, be a one-stop shop and solution to just do all the things that doctors need and take the work out of it so that they don't wait years to, to bank the money that they don't wait years or until they have a medical problem to try to cover themselves medically. Totally. And, uh, you know, you're, you're doing it well and, and you're, you, you know, the system and you know what doctors go through and you're a relatable person. So, um, uh, I mean, that's, that's what, uh, you know, has kept us connected. I think is, you know, what's up, you really know how to, how to solve doctors problems. And, you also could have saved me, you know, so much money if you if I would have listened to you about multiple things and in investing. So I'm I'm certainly not giving investment advice on the podcast. John can uh, can actually technically give it. There's I'm sure there's some disclosures in there, but you're certified. Yeah, we'll still have a you're, you're the real guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. There's a lot of quotes that I'll use in my book, so thank you. Um, perfect. <laughs> Yeah. And I was, uh, that was where our lives intersected prior to being a financial planner. I was actually a therapist and I'm a licensed counselor. Mm -hmm. I got my master's in counseling and tried that world of mental health care for a while and, uh, got burned out pretty quick. I think a lot of it was, it was just, it felt like you know, a lot of time and a lot of work without a lot of reward, it seemed like I didn't get to always see the patients get better. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of them just didn't. I think a lot of them didn't want to. Um, I worked with a lot of couples over the years. And uh, yeah, and what I found made the biggest, quickest impact was helping couples with their finances. You know, and it didn't fix everything, but it certainly gave them something tangible that they could walk away with and say, okay, we're, we're communicating better on this, or we understand why we act this way when it comes to money. And I, uh, you know, that was, I did that for about two or three years in private practice and then transitioned into financial planning when Ruben Levinson, who was uh, one of our partners, he approached me. Uh, I was friends with his daughter back in high school and, and he was always the cool older brother, but he so hadn't talked to him for years and years and years. And then ran into me at just the right time and said, Hey, I've always wondered how a counselor would do as a financial planner. I think there's a lot of overlap. So I said, sure. Okay. Why not? I hate my life now. Let's try something else and uh-huh. see if uh, that scratches the itch. And yeah, I mean, it did a lot of things on, you know, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I think Trevor would say the same thing in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got yeah. kind of that entrepreneur spirit, love building something and love creating new ideas and, and seeing them grow. And so we were able to do that with Financial MD six and a half, seven years ago now. Um, and really took off in the area. And what our goal was this year, and I think it was just a in a lot of ways, this pandemic accelerated us. We wanted to do what had worked so well in Michigan. Because what I do is I speak to residency programs. That was kind of the way that we get our message out. We get our education out. And we found years ago when we started this 
residency workshop curriculum, financial literacy curriculum, is that residents were often jumping from $50,000 a year salary to $250,000 a year with no idea of what to do with it. They probably heard bits and pieces here and snippets from the other residents or their attending or something they found online or whatever, some good, some bad info. But what Mm -hmm. we found is that there was no formal education. You go through four years of undergrad and four years of med school and however long a residency, all without anybody really taking out, you know, enough time in a class type of setting to say, here's what you need to know, what you need to do. And so we started with one residency program in Lansing, Michigan until last year, we probably did 120 or so um, all over the Midwest, we branched out into Chicago, Indiana, Ohio, mm-hmm. um, and Michigan. And so that just got me thinking of what, how much bigger impact could we have if we could take this thing virtual and we weren't limited Mm -hmm. by location. Long comes the pandemic and says, sure. And a lot of people are going to be more open to that here this year. And uh, it's, uh, it's really paved the way for where financial MD is going. And I've been super honored to have Trevor along for the journey because he's kind of my, my wise sage that is able to share some experiences, go through it. And I might come up with a dumb idea of, Hey, I think physicians will like this. And he'll be like, dude, no, they won't. No, that's (laughs) (laughs) no, you're way off base there. Come back. So, um, I think it works. So we're kind of the yin and the yang and, uh, hopefully we'll, Mm -hmm. we'll make this show entertaining. The, um, the bigger vision of, and, and I think Trevor and I can both share into this, but my, my, Vision for financial MD, why, you know, I think people ask me the question, especially older advisors will ask me, why do you work with physicians? I hear they're a-holes or I hear they're really difficult to work with or God complex or whatever, all these words. And A, that hasn't been my experience by and large, but um, I know that there's good people wanting to help people for sure. And do they make a high income? Sure, they make a high income and that's great. But what I have seen over the years is way too many physicians that are just working, putting their head down, coming home from work, living their life, doing whatever. And the income at the end of a year, they may have made $250,000, $300,000 and they've got nothing to show for it. Mm-hmm. Add to that, maybe they've married a physician, so now it's a double income. Add to that, maybe they've got a much higher, whatever the case might be. But over the lifetime of a physician, we ran these numbers one time. And if there's a million and a half physicians, which is probably give or take a couple hundred thousand in the United States and average physician income, if you take them all is probably between two and 250 over a 30 year career on average, multiply that times a 30 year career. You're talking in the low trillions of dollars that are at stake here. In my mind, that can do a lot of good, not only for the physician himself, not only for their families, but then once we hit those checkpoints, I have this kind of checkpoint roadmap process that I take everyone through, even in residency. It's step one, complete this, then you can move on to step two. And it kind of builds up mm-hmm. like this, remember the Maslow's hierarchy of needs and kind of identifying this is the basic need. Then you move on to more kind of discretionary or optional things. In my mind, there's a lot of good that can be done. And I hate to see 
physicians that have have such income potential over the years and such financial potential to look mm-hmm. back over their 30-year career. And if I tell them, hey, did you know you made $20 million over the last 30 years? And they just look back like, I have no idea where that went. And if mm-hmm. we can start as early as possible before that income starts, A, getting into good financial habits, so money is not necessarily uh, wasted or put into stupid things or somebody talked them into this kind of policy or talked them into this or whatever. We try to prevent that. But also as they become an attending to say, okay, do this to take care of yourself. Do this to take care of your family and those that are close to you and and that mean a lot to you. And then beyond that, if we work this right, and I think 99% of the time we can, you'll still have money left over to do great things with over the years. And our dream at Financial MD is that we'll be able to, maybe not literally, but be at the physician's deathbed when they're 90 years old and say, hey, because of what you did and the decisions that you made, you donated a million dollars to ABC over the course of your career, $2 million, $5 million, which seems like crazy numbers when I tell this to residents or young attendings, but it's possible. And if we can do that for one, we can do it for a hundred or we can do it for a thousand. And just, I believe that financial MD is going to be a a force for good in this culture. If we can stay the course and start to shift where, where some of the, the mentality and the behavior is going in the world of a physician's finances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's nice when, um, when, uh, if you, if you make a lot of money, if you know where your money's going, I mean, it's, I think, you know, pick an investment, you can argue over different types of investments and, um, you know, there's different opinions on, on automating things or there's a ton of different investment opinions, but, if you don't even know where your money's going, like you, it doesn't even matter what you think right. is a good investment. It's like it's like the right. ninth conversation. You know, Any of those things is better than nothing, yeah. right? Like there's not a right or yeah. wrong there. It's like at least do it's that, right. and then we can talk about secondarily what to do within those things. Yeah, that's that's really true. Yeah, each thing. Yeah, they're they're certainly not. Um, unlike a pyramid, if you're kind of doing one of those things, it's helpful. It's better than doing none. Um, but certainly, like. If you know where your money is going, which is not necessarily budgeting, you know, I don't know if you're a big budget guy or not, but a lot of people start with budgeting as like the core thing. Um, whether that's good or bad doesn't necessarily matter. But just if you generally know where your money goes, like I haven't been a strict budget guy, but I can always tell you like generally like how much I spend on this or that or where my money has yeah. gone. Right. Um, I still I spend it on purpose, even <clears throat> even if I don't know where every single dollar is. And then if it's not like making sense to me, I kind of do it just a little bit larger. And I think honestly, as a physician, uh, that was not as true as a resident. I had to keep a little closer track, but now, now that I'm an attending, you can kind of afford to do that. Um, yeah. If you're not blowing, if, if you're earning a decent paycheck, let's say you're at that 250 range starting out. If you just don't spend all your money that first month, you're going to have like a nice cushion in your checking account of between five and $10,000. Mm-hmm. And like, you're not going to have overdraft fee problems and you're going to be able to kind of keep track to a certain degree. And that's not necessarily true. I should say, I'm sure there are people that do, do have those issues, but um, we kind of, we kind of have easy mode in terms of like doing some of the basic things, right. As long yeah. as we 
are playing by the correct rules as long as we have good information. You know, the correct premise goes a long way with somebody who makes a decent income. And you can even kind of make mistakes that other people don't make and bounce back from them. And um, Yeah, that's a good point. There's just, there's a lot of wiggle room. Like doctors are so set up to succeed um, even, you know, with, with 10% of the effort of the average person, they're going to do better. You yeah. know, it's, it's having a big income is a, is a big advantage. Um, Dave Ramsey talks about like, if you have a lot of debt, you know, you got a big hole you're in. This is a weird analogy of actually, I'd love to get your take on this. I think yeah. the analogy he gives is you're in a hole, but you have a big shovel. And I've always been like, doesn't that make you deeper? Yeah, yeah. So, but I'm pretty sure that's what he says every time. He's yeah, like, you got a big shovel; it'll get you out of it. And I'm always like, "But aren't you in a hole?" You know, like, <laughs> because of that shovel. What? No, yeah, yeah. That shovel anyways, make that uh, hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't quite. I mean, it's true though. I mean, it's a big shovel, but that's sort of like if you're trying to make a hole. I don't know. It doesn't work yeah. well. <clears throat> um, yeah. We get anyway, those that. are just my quick thoughts. Like now that I'm in attending, which I should say, yeah, I mm-hmm. I'm a board certified ophthalmologist. Those boards were tough. I'm glad they're over. Um, and I've been out from residency for a couple of years and it, it is like, I kind of wish I would have been a little less stressed in residency. I wish I would have just set up the things that you advised and then not been like, Oh, I need to make every little extra dollar because <laughs> the dollars come after they really do come after. Yeah. Um, and just to enjoy the time, the limited time you have in residency, but, uh, I mean, in a matter of 10 to 15, 10 hours, probably less an hour mm-hmm. a week over 10 weeks, you would have every single thing in your financial life like set. Oh yeah. And then sure. you see it and you're like, I want to make money to like kind of get out of this. But you also have to live life outside the spreadsheet and you yeah. know, there's different stages. So <laughs> if, as a resident, I wish I could like, it's always, I'm always like stressing about this or that, you know, cause I'm a driven person. But I wish I could go back and tell myself, just chill, man. Just, mm-hmm. just learn and um, just get your stuff in place. Just get your disability and maybe try to fill up that Roth IRA if you can. Uh, refinance those loans to save tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, um, That's an easy one. The sooner you do it, the more you save. And um, yeah, yeah you, know, you know what I mean? Like you, you can't do it all at one time, but you can like yeah. get a plan early. And then just slow, yeah. you just got to execute that plan real slow. That's, so, that's totally true. And that's why, I mean, that's why we created the roadmap for residents. So it would be kind of a one bite at a time type of thing. Like ideally we meet with a resident in their first year and say, okay, PGY one, here's what you do. And then mm-hmm. the other stuff we can put off until PGY two and, you know, three and four. And then, you know, we, we take it in bites because it's hard enough to spend any time as a resident about your anything, let alone your personal yeah. finances. And so what I wanted to do with financial MD was a figure out a way to first automate as much as we can, but B have mm-hmm. somebody for, you know, a reasonable price that even a resident could afford that. Hey, I know they've got my stuff. I may have to sit mm-hmm. down for three to four hours a year. Um, but I know that somebody's taking care of it and making sure I do what I got to do. And I don't have to be, you know, we felt like what we'd seen before financial MD was, 
you could get that kind of service, but you had to be an attending because these advisors were only working with people that had 100,000 or 500,000 saved up or they had these minimums because, you know, it was just, I get it. You know, they had to pay their bills and it takes some time and, um, mm-hmm. or they were paying out of pocket, you know, a couple thousand dollars a year. But um, we just, by the time you're through residency, you've already built some financial habits. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and yeah. uh, it's just too late at that point, a lot of times. So, yeah, that's totally true. And, and you know, going back to the budgeting thing, I... I, I agree with you on that. And I'll, we'll show in another show how we do this concept. It's not brilliant or proprietary, but it's worked for some, I kind of came up with called reverse budgeting, um, which if that's not out there, we'll trademark it, but it's basically the concept of like, okay, what do you think you need to, to do all these different categories of life from housing to car to student loans, to food, to groceries, to gas and all these different things. And it's like, well, I, I think I probably need this and this and this, and I'll go through this conversation the first time I sit down with a resident and Usually we find some, okay, if we do that math and it's this whole spreadsheet with formulas and it says you should have $150 a month left over in surplus. And they're like, oh, Mm -hmm. boy, that doesn't seem right. I usually have nothing left over. It's like, okay, probably true. And that's usually what happens. But if these numbers are right and we look over and yeah, it looks right. You should have 150 surplus, right? Yeah, I guess that makes sense. We've thought of everything that I spend in a month. Okay, so let's, take that money first and do something smart with it. And then we mm-hmm. don't have to worry about budgeting. You just do whatever you want with the rest because you know, you're being smart with the extra. And if we can kind of slowly tweak that up every six months, you know, then you'll be doing better and better and starting to knock out stuff on that roadmap. Um, you know, first step, get an emergency fund, um, knock out some credit card debt. If you have to get your disability insurance, like those are some of the basic first steps that, Mm-hmm. you know, with 150 bucks a month, we can, we can do that. And you'll know that you're doing better than 90% of the other residents out there just by doing that. So yeah, it's actual budgeting is hard to do. Sounds mm-hmm. good in theory. I've rarely yeah. seen it work. So it's like, why don't we just take care of one budget and that's, you know, saving and just personal finance stuff. And then you do whatever you want with the rest. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. wouldn't it be nice if there was like a product where like you, it, this is basically like contributing a pre-tax from your, to your employer's retirement mm-hmm. plan, which is where they just take the money out. Right. It never, yeah. it never ends up in your checking account. It's, yep. it's one of the reasons it's such a great way of investing is like, you kind of never see it. It's sort of like, would you pay social security if they gave you the money and they're like, Hey, uh, we're going to put this in your bank account. Um, and then, uh, if you want to be a part of this, then, uh, give us whatever it's like, what is it? 2%? That's more than that. Right. I can't remember yeah, yeah. how much social security is. Medicare, I think is 2%, right? Anyways, uh, I should, yeah. I, should spend, I don't remember. Well, um, your FICA, social security, all that stuff. I mean, you're 7.65%. It's just to, yeah. employee share. Yeah. That's it's right. a lot. It's, and that's why most people have most of their money at the end of their career in their 401k because it's the easy button, because you don't see yes. it. Um, right. And a lot of employers, it be, even it's, it's hard to believe you can do this, but um, it's a good thing. Employers yeah. can automatically enroll every new employee at 1% yeah. or 2%. Yeah. And if social security wasn't mandated, a lot of people wouldn't do it, even right. if it was pre-tax. 
Yep. And that's, there's a reason it's mandated. You, you can't say no. And so you're going to have a little bit of a safety net, not a lot. And if we could do that to ourselves, even beyond a 401k, that'd be sweet. Like I, in residency, I could have saved more. Like I, like I said, it was tight. It's tight, but like, it's also what a lot of people make. Right. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Right. So average it's what, it's, for a lot of people, it's like what it's the most that they'll make. And it's, it's not a, it's not a terrible income. It just, if you don't refinance your loans, yeah, you're super strapped because then yep. you're paying minimums of like between seven and $1,500 a month on a salary. That's like a take home 3000 a month. <laughs> right. It's pretty, right. it's pretty tough, but, yeah. but doable if you have a cheap apartment or roommates, but if you could filter that like 3000 a month in residency into a bank account where you're like, Hey, uh, I want 200 or 300 of this every month to go to X and I like kind of can't access it. If there was some sort of artificial barrier you could sign up for, that'd be kind of sweet. Mm. You know what I mean? Just like yeah, that's stocks go up, idea. right? But yeah. we're young and we buy them and we trade them and we sell them and then we buy high and sell low. And like, that's really common. Yeah. There's a way to like lock it up. So I'm not allowed to do the stupid thing that I know that I'll do. Yeah. But there's, it's your money. So they let you sell it, you know, like, yeah, it almost be nice to, to have some um, some really purposeful things where it makes it really tough for you to get to your own money. <laughs> well, and that's kind of what I feel like part of the purpose of a financial advisor is, is to be yeah, kind of exactly. between people and their money. And someone's like, hey, I need you to sell all that stock. And the advisor's like, are you sure? Cause- exactly. That's all. <laughs> it's That's what that money's for. And it, it would have saved me personally a lot of money to have been doing that over the mm-hmm. past, even in residency. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, yeah, I think that's exactly what a financial advisor is. It's just like, I have your funds under management. We can do that. And then, you know, there's some extra fees involved, but that's yeah. not all bad. I mean, that is the barrier. Well, and that's what you're paying so, for. Is yeah, I think that's like, that's sort of like my, like I listened to White Coat Investor and I've, I've done his course and mm-hmm. I have a plan and all that stuff, but like, it's doctors are their own worst enemy and we're, you know, kind of worse at investing than a lot of the average individuals. And well, and he, um, he would say maybe 15 to 20% of doctors are actually do it yourselfers. Totally. You're absolutely right. But the rest, you read the blog. Fiduciary that, yeah. Yeah. You, you read the blog though. And you're just like, Oh, here's the information. I understand the information. Let me execute based on this. It's very I know. He makes it sound like everybody should do this and no one should need an advisor. It, it does, it does come across that way. I think, um, sometimes he's such a, he's such a good dude though. Like I've yeah. emailed with him a couple of times. He's so helpful. It's so responsive. Um, and I think his goal is just to, I think his, his philosophy, even like his like tagline is like helping doctors get a fair shake or something like that. Yeah. Right. And I think he's just trying to like equip doctors to actually to know. And then, from the Dave Ramsey kind of approach, it's like um, you can find out if you know a lot, then you can find out if the guy that you're paying knows more than you or knows Uh, how to like do the right stuff. So like, that's my approach at least. Um, No, I totally, I I think that makes sense. And that's where I am. I'm a big proponent of the white coat investor. And because I know he's not anti-financial advisor, yes, his course is called fire your financial advisor. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, 
I get it. I mean, it's kind of a gimmick, but at the same time, he's uh-huh. he's out there for the do-it-yourselfers. And yeah. I think there's a lot of people that will make more informed decisions on who their advisor is, which we're, we're yeah. totally in favor of. Absolutely. Yeah, and having um, a fiduciary is like, I mean, who doesn't want to have somebody who's like on their side? You know, I think that's a it's totally reasonable thing. Yeah, that's the whole um, point. If we could give any investment or financial advice today, it's whomever it is you work with, whether it's yourself or whether it's uh, mm-hmm. an advisor, it's got to be someone you like and you trust. And number three, you know, has your best interest at heart. And yep. it helps if they're legally bound to have your best interest at heart, which is what a fiduciary is. That's right. Yeah, if, if, um, if not, I mean, salesmen who are not fiduciaries, they have, they have no responsibility to tell you. They're, they're trying to make a sale, however. And if you're a fiduciary, then, then you're not just a salesman. I mean, you're, you're trying to better the person that you're working with. Um, yeah. And so the downside of that difference. is, yeah. And there's, and we'll go into another episode where we talk about the difference and how to pick a financial advisor. I mean, to get a fiduciary, you're going to have to pay for it. You're either going to pay for mm-hmm. it with some assets under management or you're going to pay for it out of pocket, but that's the price you pay to have uh, good, suitable advice and, and somebody that you can trust. And again, a salesman, I've met some great salesmen, good people. Um, mm-hmm. There, there right. are some oh, for totally. sure. But at the end of the day, can you truly say that um, the guy just can't be conflict free, you know, That's and right. nobody is, let's be honest. But mm-hmm. if we can try to minimize as much as possible, we're, we're human and we're all driven by yeah. money. I've met plenty of doctors that are driven by money. It's not exclusive yeah. to just the financial field. That's right. You're absolutely right. So, well, I think we're coming up at the end of our time. Any uh, final thoughts? Dr. Smith? I think my last thought is like, not so much from the financial perspective, but I'm curious. I, I think physicians take an oath, right? Just, I'm mm-hmm. just like thinking about what you were just saying. Like we take an oath to do no harm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot that goes after that, but we usually just say the do no harm part. Do no harm, right. Um, yeah, but um, I don't know that there's a legally binding fiduciary equivalent. In medicine, mm. which is very interesting, um, sort of like a, I am, I must take the patient's best interest at heart. Um, I'm gonna have to chew on that because I don't think it exists, and that's kind of interesting that it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, um, that's uh, that's a good one. It'll I'm pretty sure it doesn't exist, so I'm gonna I'm gonna think about that. Um, that'd be a cool thing, and it's something that should exist. Yeah, so. Um, it's yeah. Interesting. We'll have to think about that. That's because there's plenty of conflicts of interest in medicine. Yeah. And you know, for sure in the financial world as well. I mean, um, yeah, I can tell you there's, there are just offhand, I'll give you some, you know, looks under the hood. There's a lot of push and incentives for an advisor say, uh, in, and we can't do this, but in, say a commission-based advisor to sell a variable annuity to someone with a million bucks versus put them in a mutual fund account or brokerage account and do it that way and just, you know, Mm -hmm. make maybe, maybe half percent a year on amount like that. Um, Because an annuity, a lot lot of these annuities probably come down a little bit over the years, but getting six or 7% upfront commission one time would not be Mm -hmm. unheard of. That's outrageous. 
on a million bucks, that's what, $70,000, $60,000. crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. I, I've heard some good podcasts <laughs> by um, the white coat investor that talk about that. Yeah. It's, it's nuts. And even me, you know, as an advisor getting into that and seeing this going on, I'm like, this is, how do you expect these guys to even, even if they're good guys to make good decisions or feel like. That's what know. he says. Exactly. It's so much money that there's just no way. <laughs> if you're selling a lot of that product, it, yeah, it so who's has fault is impact. It, right? yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. It's, it's the annuity um, company. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, all we can do is just be responsible for, for our own actions. And, um, at the, at the end of the day and then in decades down the road, it's like, you know, what do you want to look back on? Yeah. Yeah. Don't you want to sleep at night? That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You want to have mattered and feel good about it. And, um, that's worth, that's worth, um, leaving money on the sidelines. It's not like you're losing it. You're just not gaining it. That's okay. Yeah. Yep. Well, great, man. Totally. It's good to catch right. up. And yeah, um, let's good to see you. Enjoy your vacation. And uh, looks like uh, it's got to be Oahu. Oahu. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just woke up on the plane, and I'm just here. So. Oh, yeah. Can you flip flop <laughs> Okay. Well, put some pants sure. on, and um, it's great. It's fun, and uh, that's a wrap. And uh, we'll see everybody next time. Sounds good. Thanks, John. Talk to you later. Thanks for joining us for another Financial MD show. Be sure to head over to FinancialMD.com to get more in-depth resources on financial tips for physicians. And don't forget to join the Financial MD community group on Facebook, where physicians at all stages of their career gather to share tips and get ideas on achieving true financial success. We'll see you next time. The Financial MD show is for informational purposes only and is not an offer to invest, is not financial, tax, or legal advice. Be sure to seek financial, legal, or tax professionals when making any financial decisions. Before investing, you should make sure that any investment strategy or investment meets your individual investment needs, goals, and objectives. Financial MD makes no claims or guarantees to individual investment performance. All investing involves the risk of loss as well as the potential for gain.